work for a broker dealer and you're screwed up, what are you going to do? Well, I'm Ken Finnan at Capital Advantage Tutoring, and I'm going to show you how you fix these disputes. We're going into resolving disputes right now. Your customer calls you and gives you an order to buy 100 shares at 40, worth, and then you buy it at 41, or they give you a market order and you pay up too high, or you take a buy order and you make it a sell. All these things are errors. Maybe they wanted to sell stock at 42, or maybe it was supposed to be GTC, and you put it in as a day order, whatever. A lot of things happen. These are called errors. These are execution errors, and this is on you. So if you screw up a customer's order, I call you up and say, buy a thousand shares at 40, and you buy it at the market at like 41, or you just forget to put the freaking order out there for when you're fighting with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, whatever it is, you forget to do it, and it traded at their price, and they didn't get any. That is an error. That's an execution error. So every firm has to have an error account, whether it's get used or not, or it's going to get used. So to accommodate for errors. So if you if you have an error and you buy the wrong shares or whatever it is, or you buy the wrong stock or you pay too much, maybe you're supposed to buy ABC, you bought ABD, whatever. I mean, that's why whenever you say like, that's why when I work with my students and they go D, I go D is in David, C is in Charlie. They all sound the same, especially on the phone. So you always say Apple. Apple, berry, coconut, whatever it is, or Charlie, whatever you want to do, you always confirm. But if you screw up, it happens. I mean, I've had my fair share. When I was on the stock exchange, I had a couple errors. I mean, you're sitting there with two, three phones in your ear. You're going to screw up once in a while. That's what error accounts are for. So what happens is your trade, if you make a mistake, you put it into the error account, and then you're going to have to resolve it by selling it out or whatever. Here's the problem. Let's say you get an order to buy 1,000 shares at 40 and you sell it by mistake, okay? That's an error. You have to put it in the air account. But now here's the worst part. You have to buy the thousand that you sold by mistake back, and then you got to buy the customers. So that's double the error. So all that goes into your account, any loss goes in there. That's not on the customer. Remember that. So if you have an execution error, that's on you, the broker dealer, and the agent. Now, the remember, the registered rep does not have an error account. The firm does. Don't fall for that trick, okay? The registered rep can use the error account because that's where they put their errors or their fuck-ups in, but it's the firm's error account, okay? that And the principal usually has to handle that, pretty much. And I say usually, the principal does have to put it in there. And then that's the error, and then you're supposed to resolve it as quick as possible. You don't play around with it and hope that it works. You you fix that error as soon as possible. And remember, if you do it, if you buy stock, if you if I give you an order to buy stock at forty, and you don't buy it by mistake, and then the stock runs up to forty five, you still owe me a report at forty because you were supposed to buy it there. So you have to go buy it at fifty and sell it at forty. So that's going to go in the error account, and I get the and I get my report at forty. That's an execution error. That's on you now. A reporting error is not on you, unless you have fucked up, right? So if I say get, buy a thousand shares at the market, and you buy a thousand shares at forty, but then by mistake you told them I bought them at thirty nine. I bought them at forty. That there's no way around that. That's what I bought. You have to call me back and go, Ken. Listen, I'm sorry. I know I told you I bought them at thirty nine. You really bought them at forty, and I'm going to scream and yell at you and call you the most worst things in the world. Still got to give it to me. So even if it's better for me, even if I say you told me 40 and I really bought it at 39, right? So a better price, right? That would be a problem, okay? But I can, that would be a profit for me, right? But And I can't say, you know what? I'm too busy. Keep it. I can't. I have to take it, whether it's good or bad for me. If you If I did shares at 39 and you gave me a different price, I have to take them at 39. So a reporting error is not really an error. It's just, it's on me. 
the customer has to take that because it's not really hurting them. It's what they would have bought it at anyway, or what they what they actually bought it at anyway, or sold it at. So they have to take it. Okay, let's say John gave you an order to buy a thousand shares, and you bought the shares the right price, no screw up. Ah, but you weren't paying attention. You put it in the wrong account. You put it in Mary's account. Well, now you have a screw up. Okay, it's not a big deal. You have to do a cancel, cancel the trade, and rebuild it into John's account. But you need principal approval, approval first. So if you put if you put the a trade in there, somebody's account that's wrong, a wrong person's account. That was the most awkward English sentence ever. You have to cancel, rebuild, but you need permission from the principal before you do that. Once you get permission, then you can move it over. It's not a big deal. It's, uh, nobody probably even noticed, but you'd just be like, wait, why does Mary's account have a thousand shares of Apple when she's a bond trader? Now, this one is new, about 15 years old, what they call a clearly erroneous trade, okay? This is a whole different thing. This came by, by right around maybe 2009 because in, they had the flash crash where somebody went to, I think, went to sell $30 million worth of Merck or something like that and sold 30 million shares. They hit the wrong button and it caused the whole market to crash. So what happened is all these stocks are trading at 40 and Merck went from like 40 to like 29 in a trade. That's a clear, that's an error. So they created this thing called clearly erroneous. You will not have to do the math. The books talk about the math and the threshold. You will not have to do that math. You just have to know that if the trade is outside the range, like example, this is an example. The question I got was, you got an order to buy stock at the market. It was trading at $40. You placed a market order and the next trade was at $50. That's a 20% move. I mean, 25% move. That's a big move. That's outside the range. And what they did was they made it easy for me because the other three choices were not really, they're not really, they were like, oh, bust the trade, blah, blah, blah. The last one was file a clearly erroneous report. So that's what you do. If you think a trade is outside the range, say you'll try to buy stock at 30 and you end up buying it at 35 or 37, that's a big gap. I know some people think it isn't, that's a big gap, okay? Um, you would you would call up within 30 minutes, you would reach out to FINRA and file a clearly erroneous report trade. You say, hey, listen, this is outside the range. Now, remember, that one stock could affect a lot. If there's mergers and other stuff, they can actually have multiple stocks going into this format. Like if one stock moves, other ones move with it. So they got to adjust that, okay? So if you see a stock trade move too much and they're not going to make you remember the thresholds, there's a whole chart in all the books where they make you do it. Don't worry about it. They're not going to ask you but clearly erroneous trade is within 30 minutes of the transaction, you file with Finner that there's a clearly erroneous trade. They have 30 minutes to say yes or no. And if they say yes, it's clearly erroneous, they literally bust all the trades that happen in that period outside the range. So they just cancel all the trades. So people who sold, thought they did well or bad, boom, they just get a notification that the trades have been canceled. That's what they do. They bust them, they cancel. They have that right. They didn't have it before this clearly erroneous thing. Now, after that happens, after the decision is made, and you're like, wait, what the hell happened? You can, if you say you don't like their decision, you have 30 minutes to appeal it. So it's, I do the trade at 10, and I think, oh my God, it's it's clearly erroneous. I file a report before 10.30. From the time they do that, from the time I file it, and then they have 30 minutes to give a decision. If I don't like their decision, I then have 30 minutes to appeal it, and then they can take all day to make a decision. But if they decide that it is clearly erroneous outside the range, they will bust the trades and they can do it for multiple numbers. If it's a massive, like if it's like 20, 30 stocks that it happened to, they will just bust trades across the board and all those trades to bring up and anything outside that range, they will bust.
That's a clearly erroneous trade. It's not new, new. It's like 15 years old, but a lot of people don't know what the hell it is. Okay, so let's use screwed up and your customer's pissed so they can file a complaint. Now, remember, a complaint is always written again. The freaking hat, okay? The complaint, see, look at that. It matches the logo. How great is that? The, um, the complaint has to be in writing. A verbal complaint is not really a complaint. Now, how most firms have in-house procedures where they go, a verbal complaint does have to be recorded, okay? But FINRA defines a complaint as a written complaint, text message, tweet, email, whatever, snail mail, whatever it is, tattoo maybe, I don't know. But the point is a written complaint has to be forwarded to the principal and they have to document how they're going to reference it, okay? So again, complaints are in writing. They have to be documented, okay? They have to be forwarded to a principal who has to document what action they've taken and all that. And there we go. And they have to be kept on file for four years. That's record keeping requirements. Now, let's say the complaint gets bigger and it becomes something real, like you actually did something wrong. This is this where what they call the code of procedure comes into play. Code of procedure, COP, C-O-P. So that's why I remember C-O-P, they come after you when, you when you screw up. So the code of procedure is where the disciplinary actions happen. I don't think the test is going to go that deep into this. For the 24, they will, and maybe the 9, 10, but this one. You just got to know that code of procedure is for when you screw up and do something wrong and they can, and the FINRA will come and discipline you, spank you, waterboard you, whatever. I mean, after the waterboarding of the spanking, they can censure you, suspend you, ban you, bar you, all that stuff. And um, this is the thing. This shit's appealable. OK, you can if you don't like this, if you don't like what they say, you can send it to the. Um, you go to the District Business Conduct Committee and then they go to the National. Then you can appeal it to the National Judicory, I can't say that word, National Judicory Board. If you don't like that, you can move all the way up to the SEC, to the courts, all the way up. This shit is appealable. Code of procedure is appealable because it's your life. Now, let's say we just disagree on something. Maybe I'm the customer, you're the rep, or the two reps, or two firms, whatever it is. Most and Now, we can't force a customer into arbitration unless they sign the pre-dispute arbitration clause. Most of them do. They kind of trick you into doing it. They can't make you do it. Your opening an account can't be dependent on filing that. But now, everyone who works for a broker dealer, all broker dealers and employees of broker dealers have to do the arbitration clause. So that means any dispute other than sexual or racial attacks and stuff like that, discrimination, have to go through arbitration. Now, the reason the sexual and racial shit happened is because in the 90s, nobody gave a shit, okay? So what happened is you get assaulted whatever way, and you go to arbitration, and they're like, sure, you're right. Sure, wink, wink. Yeah, sure, it happens. Here's a dollar. Get out of here. So they realized that it wasn't really the way to go. So they said, okay, if you are subject to sexual or racial discrimination, you can actually take that through the actual court system if you prefer. But back to this. So regular arbitration is for disputes. So it's for usually monetary disputes between customers and reps. So here's the way I think of it. It's an arbitration. It's binding arbitration. It's either one or three people. And the arbitrators can either be industry people or non-industry people, like people who don't work for firms. A lot of times they're lawyers or just people who want to help out. And they, they're they not very transparent. A lot of times they make decisions and you can't tell what they said. So it's kind of like it's flip a coin. The reason they do it is because it's cheaper than going to court. It should be quicker. So I was with um, I was at the firm and we were trying to go to court. We went to arbitration that still took a year to arbitration. Think how long the court system in New York would take. OK, so we go to arbitration. So before they do that, they try to send you to mediation. 
Mediation is where you're sitting on a table and there's a guy there in the middle, an arbitrator, but he's just a mediator. And they try to make sure they try to make you come up with a solution on your own. You can walk away from that anytime. The arbitration, you can't. Okay. So if you end up going to arbitration, say mediation doesn't work and you go to arbitration, once you're in there, you can, you can settle anytime, obviously. But once an arbitrator makes a decision, it's binding. You cannot appeal it. So let's go through this stuff. So if your dispute is under a hundred grand, you're going to have one arbitrator because it's cheaper. Over 100 grand, it's going to be three arbitrators. And let's go under the 100. If you're under 50, you can do what they call simplified, where you don't even go in front of a person. You mail your arguments in, and then they flip a coin and choose who wins. So under 50 grand or less, you can do simplified one person. From 50 to actually anything up to 100, you can do in person one person. Over 100, it's going to be three, okay? Now, this is what I tell everyone. If there's a human being involved that leans public, which means non-industry, so if it's a over 100 grand and it's either a rep or an in, a customer involved, you're going to have at least two non-industry arbitrators. Now, if the public's involved, they can ask, they can actually arrange it to have all three be non-industry or public arbitrators. So again, if it's an individual involved at all, there's going to be at least, if there's three arbitrators, at least two of them will be non-industry in one industry. But if a customer is involved, they can make all three industry, all three non-industry. If it's a firm to firm, say UBS fights with JP Morgan or Wells Fargo, whatever it is, they will have, if it's over hundred grand, they will have three industry arbitrators. They won't have public arbitrators in there because the idea is that firms cannot handle it and they want industry people who understand this stuff. So that's arbitration. The big thing is statute of limitations or arbitration is six years, I think. And it's binding, no appealable. Code of procedure, which is disciplinary, is appealable. Code of arbitration, which is disputes, is not appealable. So the U4 is how you register. And there's certain disclosures that you have to put on there. Like if you've been convicted of like a of a felon in the, ever, if you have been convicted of a, a taking of money, investment thing, or bribery or perjury, misdemeanor, you have to disclose also. Okay, securities related. Um, that's how when you register. And if you have an arbitration award, they're going to use a U6. So certain arbitration awards, not testable as far as the amount. Certain arbitration awards have to be disclosed on your U6, which will then show up on your U4. When you leave a firm, they do a U5. And, and what happens is they disclose why, right? So if you left on your own, they do a U5 and it's listed as voluntary, we're good to go. There are other choices. There's permitted to resign, in, under investigation, um, discharge with cause, stuff like that. Those are all, all of those would have, and, and other is a good one. Um, Anything other than voluntary, FINRA will need some sort of disclosures about why. And that'll show that'll be there. That that U5, anything other than voluntary, will show up on your broker check on your U4 forever. So try not to be fired, at least not for cause. If you're just terminated, a lot of times they'll put voluntary like, well, he failed the test, so he volunteered to leave, okay? But sometimes it's other for layoffs and stuff like that. Nobody cares. But you don't want to be fired for cause or under investigation. So where all that information is held is on what they call CRD, the Central Registration Depository. That's where all your information is. When I first started, they didn't have this or was, but it wasn't accessible. So you, every time you had to go to a new firm, you had to fill out a whole new U4, your U5, all, and you had to have a copy of your U5. That's the other thing. When you leave, they have to give you a copy of your U5 within 30 days, okay? And then that, the reason was is because when you went to a new place, they wanted a copy of that. Now they just hit a button and it all populates, okay? But again, that's on your record forever. All your tests you've taken, all that stuff, your addresses, your 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 jobs and stuff like that, all that stuff is on the CRD. And if you are dis disciplined and you like say they 
they they borrow you, essentially, you find you, whatever, meaning FINRA, that will be published. They will absolutely publish it every quarter. They have a disciplinary quarterly headline every quarter, right? Um, and they just list what people did wrong. It's interesting reading to see how many people are just shitheads. I feel bad because some of it is just like not like big stuff, but some people are real assholes. And it's an interesting read. Actually, there's a guy, Bill Singer, who called Broker and Broker. He goes through the arbitration awards and all that and puts his spin on it. It's really good. If you want to check out that website, go check out Broken Broker by Bill Singer. He actually puts his own spin on it and entertaining. It's pretty funny. A little sarcastic, a little mean, but he's pretty funny. So when they say member firm, they mean broker deals. So member firms have to do, it's called investor education. Every year, okay, every year, they have to they have to basically send to their customers in writing, okay, email, um, the broker check hotline number and the website, the website address for FINRA, the broker check, and they can use um, an investor brochure, which has information describing broker check, which I have videos on broker check. I'll try to link it here. But broker check is where all your information is. Once you're registered, that's where it is. My stuff's there. You have disclosures, all that stuff. I have a whole long video talking about that. Now, expungement. Let's talk about expungement for a second. If say after... Say you've been you got fined or you disciplined by FINRA and you think it was unfair. Over time, you can, if it's basically if the thing was wrong, if you think it was wrong and you have a lawyer, a good lawyer, the, the better the lawyer, the better the chance, you can get this taken off your record. But it has to pretty much has to be incorrect. They're not going to do it just because it's old. It has to be incorrect. If it's false, um, if it's false or wrong or incorrect or it just removed, maybe they undid it, maybe. You disclose and then it was reversed. You can get that taken off. That's called expungement. And that is all you need for the disclosures and stuff like that. If you have any more questions, please check me out every Tuesday and Thursday night. I do a live Q&A, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. I was your OG, baby. The original do this. I've been doing it since before the pandemic started. Y'all wash your hands and have a good night. And I'll see you on the other side.